Good morning, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. Today, the story of how we got our guest is sort of long and convoluted, but I'm sure you'll cope. So there used to be an amazing cafe on Tint Street in North Adelaide called Cafe Tekka. Big shout out to Lana and Kiara and Kayla for all the times they bought me lovely food and coffee and looked after me. And I would be sitting at Cafe Tekka regularly and hear this amazing voice, just resonant and clear and precise and witty. And I kept thinking, ah, that's so nice to listen to while I'm eating or drinking coffee. And then one day Kayla came up and said, my two favorite customers are here on the same day. You have to meet. David, meet Edmund. Edmund, meet David. And then I knew Edmund had to be a guest on Blind Insights. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. Hello, David. This is the voice. <laughs> he is the man with the voice, <laughs> the voice who also always bought a newspaper and had a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or occasionally altered. What did you drink all the time with Kamal or at Kamal's? Were you a coffee man or a I tea man? I was definitely a coffee man. Oh, yes. Yeah, so. very much so. And, and poor Kamal, we feel very sorry for him now. I think he was a bit ill, but I think it's going to open again. Oh, you've seen or heard seen, news? We, there have been people coming to have a look. Ooh. Yes, but Man. I think he was a bit ill, Kamal. He, he was actually the faulty towers of coffee houses. Yes. Because he, he would actually, occasionally on, do, on bad days for him, he would abuse everybody. Yes, and it was only that we all loved his coffee and thought, <laughs> yes. you know, the, well, there was a wonderful day where I went in and we had this deep discussion and we concluded that the best word to describe him was maudlin. <laughs> I and he agreed to describe himself as Maudlin from that point onwards. <laughs> well, with that, I'd like to introduce you, Edmund Pegg. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Sorry thank to you. interrupt that thought. <laughs> thank you. And thank you very much, David, for being here as well. I'm always happy to be here, and it's great having a guest. See, I get confused. People tell me I have a nice voice for podcasting and radio, mm, and then I hear Edmund's voice, and I go, no, I don't. Oh, you do. Of course you do. And I found the word curmudgeon yes he's a maudlin curmudgeon maudlin Kamal, if you're out there somewhere you are a maudlin curmudgeon and we love you but we love you <laughs> let's go well yeah i'm fascinated I, like i've always been involved in the arts and i think a lot of our audience is really interested in this area and in, in in kind of creative expression use of language it's yeah just a a good pastime for us i would say it's yeah pleasure to have you on the podcast and a profession for Edmund. Mm. So the logical place to start, Edmund, other than what you have in common with Churchill, which I think has to be the most <laughs> important and first question, what does Edmund Pegg have in common with Winston Churchill? Do I answer that now? Oh, you can. I think it's very important. Okay. I built a wall to which, at which I admired my handiwork. See? So, listeners, not all people involved in the arts are impractical mm. most so, of them are actually very practical because the arts is difficult and if you're not practical you don't eat that's right <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of actors i know uh, i know two actors who were also carpenters uh, in their spare time i was a landscape gardener for about 25 years during my career in england wow so in a place where things actually grow uh, yes exactly there's rain and, and i've always said when i'm advising young uh, about young actors who desperately want to become uh, go into the theater or acting i say well you need to have a backup plan uh, plan mm. to to be able to do a job that you can easily leave and come back to yeah i had some wonderful students a few years ago whose mum and dad said a simple thing you can all do anything you like for your second career but your first career will make sure you're employable yeah and all their kids did exactly that yeah. they did something they didn't particularly love to get started exactly and then that gave them the economic certainty to be able to take risks mm. and do progressively more interesting things well do you know how i became an actor i mean <clears throat> which is actually happened when I was 10 years old. And the reason I need to tell you this because of the very word you have to have if you want to be an actor, and that is a simple word, very hard, compulsion. 
there is nothing else you can possibly think of doing uh, apart from the fact that you have to have a backup plan too in case other yeah. factors prevent you from going the whole way and becoming a star, which, of course, that happened to me. I didn't become a celebrity star, but I became a an ongoing supporting actor. But that happened at the age of 10 when I was singing a Topsy playing Mabel. And we'll have to talk about why I was playing a girl at the age of 10. I'm guessing you I were at an all-boys school. I, I was at an all-boys school, and I, I was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you're still a very handsome dude. <laughs> yeah. And I, had, I, I, I hit a top C, and there was silence in the audience. It was suspended. In other words, time was suspended for a brief minute. And I thought, this is something very special. And I want more. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> i.e. compulsion yes yes yeah. and anyway, that's, that's the that was the seed the the, the birth of the idea of the feeling mm. so in an environment of an all boys school mm. you've just sung this high c playing a girl what was it like getting the courage up to tell everyone that you had just discovered your compulsion or were you rather quiet about it for a while until you were sure well i was i think i no, I, I didn't need to be in those days because uh, a lot of – in the England where I grew up, of course, I was down the road from Windsor Castle. I lived in between Windsor Castle and, and Magna Carta. Uh, drama and, and the theatre were part of – so much part of our lives that uh, to want to be an actor was not unusual. No, and there were enough places where you could oh, hone your craft well, and absolutely. earn a living. Yes, yeah. uh, and, and in fact um, – at school, for the first eight parts I played uh, in the school plays were all women. And even at St. Peter's College, uh, I did. I played Lavinia in Androcles and the Lion, which is the last time I played a woman. <clears throat> and then the first time I played a man was at St. Andrew's Church in Walkerville, and I played the le the leading man in, in a little production. Uh, so that's... Uh, that was extraordinary, really, to go through. I mean, people now wouldn't understand how. But then, of course, it was all part of the Shakespearean tradition because uh, boys, uh, you know, women were not allowed on stage. No, historically, you started when you were very young yeah. and you had the female roles yeah. while you could mm. and you honed your craft. And I imagine that it would be an incredible way to hone your craft to play a character that you aren't and yeah. really aren't, Absolutely. aren't in so many ways. <clears throat> I've just remembered something. Uh, I did see on the Globe Theatre um, uh, the, Mark Rylance playing Catherine in Henry the Henry the Fifth. Um, it was a stage production, and he actually didn't play Prince Hal mm. or King Henry. He played Catherine, and so that tradition is still kind of uh, lingered on. And of course, there's been Glenda Jackson has played King Lear, mm. and uh, and and Pamela Rabe has played King Lear. So there's been a lot of of that. See, that's the thing. Me being blind, as long as the voices work <laughs> yeah, and they right. work ah, in relation true. to yes, it. So course. this is where I am, you know, the ultimate fan of the radio play. Yeah. And you know, it's another lovely thing that's happened because of podcasts. Yeah. There's a whole thing now of recording podcast plays. Yes. So exactly. the whole series ends up out there. People can you know, binge the whole lot like they would binge Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and That's it right. will. Yeah. Okay, here's an interesting observation, and business to see what you think of it. I always have thought that uh, theatre, radio plays have a bigger impact mm. than film on the audience. Absolutely, because they have to use their imagination exactly. to fill in all the gaps. Absolutely right. Yeah, I did a lot of radio work in Sydney and some in London too with Trafford Whitelock from here. Mm. Uh, and um, I did, and I loved it. It was some Herbert Davies here for ABC Radio. We, we were constantly working uh, and in Sydney. Um, and radio, radio drama in Sydney, uh, throughout Australia in the 60s and 70s, there were people made a living. Was their whole living, career. Was their whole career. Wow. Yeah, and uh, Dickie Michael was one I remember, always always on, on radio. Um, Ronnie Hadrick, Peter White, uh, Peter Whitfield, um, all those people from here too. We, uh, we had a very good radio drama. I started my career in radio drama. Stafford Dyson, 
who was in the, this is in the f- late 50s. Oh, that's how old I am, oh dear. Uh, I've given it away. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we weren't going to, it was up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, so, it's such um, a, I'd, I would love to have been born alive in an era where that would have been possible to have a career doing something like that. I mean, yes, this is a yeah, very, yeah. this is what I do now is, is a, a slight, uh, you know, it's a short distance away from that. But. That's right. But, mm. but you're absolutely right, David. It fires the imagination because yeah. of the power of words. Mm. And the power of words have to be spoken in such a way that it can actually imply something else other than its literal meaning. Yes. So, uh, in other words, it expands meaning of words when you speak it with uh, intelligence and with the variation and modulation of your voice. Yeah. Um, and you can you can do amazing things, and it expands the mind, yeah, um, and, and, and stimulates the brain. In fact, I think the reason why we're getting more dementia is because people aren't listening to words, to words yeah, uh, and processing that in the mind, in the brain. Yeah, like the more you just sit in front of yeah. a fully formed image, you're just passively you're consuming, passively absorbing, uh, rather than actively yes, engaging. Going, engaging what does it mean? What is the subtext? What is the context? What exactly. was the intent? Yeah. What is the paradox or the contradiction exactly. in this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been fired. And in fact, I, I wrote um, an article, uh, I wrote an email to Peter Craven uh, the other day, uh, who is the Australian literary editor, uh, 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 um, saying how much I admired his article about the great voices of Olivia and Christopher Plummer, who had recently died. And I've, if you've ever heard any of the Henry V speeches yeah. spoken by either Olivia or Plummer, and they've done both. Uh, both of them have done, done both. V- uh, v- yeah. uh, um, recordings of them. It's so inspiring. Yeah. And um, and indeed, I've done my own um, performances. I did a, a one man show of all the Shakespeare great great speeches called Shakespeare's Greatest Hits. I did a, a, a two two day performance of it um, at Glen Ewan, uh, open air performance, which was very inspiring for me, and and inspired a lot of other people too. Yeah. Golly, because they heard, they heard it in the air. They heard it as though we were four hundred years ago, yeah. you know, in the globe, uh, and and that's uh, that's why it's 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 so important for everybody to experience live theatre. So, you know, if if you're and and this goes back to what's going on at Flinders University, which we'll get onto later on, but without live theatre. We are. We're going to be a diminished civilization. Mm, totally need... diminished. We'll be Neanderthals again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's like with music. You need live because yeah. you get instant feedback. Yes. And the only way you can hone your craft is with instant feedback. So I, I suppose. Well, I've always wondered. Uh, sorry, David. I keep interrupting you. That's all right. You're the guest. <laughs> That's allowed. No, but I just suddenly thought. You know, I've, I've been listening to some musicians coming on air saying, "Oh, it's so good to get back to a live yeah. audience." And yet you'd think, well, a musician can play an instrument or orchestra can play. They're not necessarily getting any immediate feedback in laughter in terms of in terms of emotional uh, wave of emotion that you do in the th- live theatre. No, they are. But they do. Yeah. They sense it because their senses are so attuned. Mm. Yeah, basically, like, you know, audience, before we came in and recorded this, we were talking about what is perhaps the most important thing an actor can develop and that us as the audience can learn from actors. And we were talking about it's awareness. Uh, totally. And musicians are much the same. Yeah. You, know, you can't be looking around to see if another section of the orchestra is about to start doing something. <laughs> you know they're starting to move and get ready. Whether that's you you know, hear them move in their suits, you hear the clothes yeah, crinkle, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's the subtle clues and cues. Yes, yes. And certainly from talking to other you know, classical musicians when I was a violinist, you're watching to see oh. are an audience leaning forward, are they leaning back? Have they started falling sideways onto an elbow? Yeah. Like if they're either leaning back and looking up or they're falling sideways, you're starting to lose them and you may not get them back. You and if you're th- sitting with hundreds of people, yeah. that's and you, you, know you can the see end, the trend. End of a great performance, particularly of a Mahler symphony or something, which I'm a mad of. I love Mahler. Mahler's amazing. Uh, and, and to, to, mm. At the end of a huge symphony, there is that intake of breath mm. and it's suspended and suddenly there's no noise at all. Mm. 
and you know it's been a huge success. And what now, are... isn't that interesting? Mm. Nobody said anything, but everybody knows it's yep. been a huge because not nothing is said. It's felt. It's mm. there's an awareness. There's a sense out there which is mm. nothing to do with words, mm. but it's awareness, it's communication. And I think one of the things that may tap in with things like you're doing the Shakespeare of doing all the great parts mm. is you've always got a tempo in music. And when you're doing oh. speeches on your own, you've always got tempo and the audience start to pick up on the tempo exactly. and it syncopates people. Also, not, not syncopates. People end up breathing or their heart yes. rate mm, starts right. matching yeah. up with each other. Well, the thing other. is about iambic pentameters, that is yeah. the, 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 the rhythm of rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. To be or not to be, that is the question. Yeah. Uh, or it can be said all different ways but the the beat mm. is there yeah and that's the beat of rock and roll it's the beat of ordinary language yeah uh, we are speaking in iambic pentameters mm. Uh, mm. I am more than any because I actually have written this is why extraordinary enough I get back to the fact that I've written my memoirs I didn't realize I could write I had no idea. I, I always had trouble finishing exams because I didn't know how to how to do it quickly yeah but the reason I think the book works amongst and for readers who are not that interested in the theatre is that it's got a rhythm. Yeah. And right through the book is a rhythm which uh, I, I was unaware of until, until I sort of s stepped back from myself and thought, why is this working when I'm not a writer? Mm. And I think it's that. Yeah. Because you've read so many scripts, I imagine, and read and them in yes. their tempo. Yeah. And, 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 and so as you write, yeah. 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 it would and just come out yeah. the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I suppose yeah, I've, it's yeah. also the biggest thing I've learned teaching students who struggle to write is I'm yeah. like, all right, stop trying to write. Let's yeah. get your phone and let's record you telling me about the topic you're going to yeah. write about. Well, let's now capture what you said. We've now got half an essay. So there's this terrible thing where somehow humans have forgotten that writing things down is just capturing speech. All writing is is capturing speech. Exactly. Mm. And do you know um, what uh, – I don't know whether you know what else I did after uh, I came back more permanently to South Australia, to Adelaide. In uh, 1997, I caught up with a disaffected teacher called Richard Potter. And uh, we, we, we devised two or three programs of poetry, which we took into schools. And together with that and creative writing workshops with students, we got some amazing yeah. stuff out of students because we, the one thing we told them that they didn't have to do was to think. No. You do not think. We presented them with stimuli like photographs or a, a, a story. I used to read. I used to read um, a speak uh, under Milkwood, the opening scene to under Milkwood, and then we would say to them, "Right, write down whatever comes into your mind." Yeah. And it was amazing what we got out of those students over the ten-year period. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And we're we're getting together a, a, a compilation of some of that work. And was this at Flinders as well? Was that right? Or? Mm. Was that the work that you did at Flinders as well? Is that right? No, no, no. This is that's, that's oh, much okay. more subsequent. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that. I'd love to hear yeah. about that if that's yeah. No, the Flinders mm. thing I want to talk about mm. anyway. Well, let's just jump into the poetry and school okay. stuff because yes. I think there's something very important here, yeah. and that is if you tap into people's ability to let their unconscious out. Yeah. You get all sorts of amazing things. You do. Whereas so many people will say, "I could draw when I was little." Or I could sing <laughs> yeah, when I was little, yeah. or I could act when I was little, but now I'm a grown-up, I can't anymore. Now, what has changed mm. is you don't let your unconscious out to play no, anymore. Because they don't allow you to in the school Precisely. curriculum. I have, um, I've been doing some work at my old school here, and quite frankly, I've now taken away the, prize, the poetry prize I gave them uh, because they didn't value it at all. Yeah. I won't tell you what the school it was. You can tell from the, the, my posh accent where I went. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'll leave that for David. I'm to just reply. gonna smile. No, 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 I'm gonna stick to your rule of not saying. I know where that lovely voice comes from, and why you're stroppy that they're not delivering on what they used to do. Because I've taught enough of the people taught in that school oh, yeah. to go. You've ended up with an amazing social network, and you're intellectually incompetent. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So we got no problem here. <laughs> but what we are on to now, which is where we'd always intended yeah. to get, is that. Whether you have a go at acting because it was a compulsion yeah. or whether you have a go at acting or poetry, just to learn to engage your unconscious so that it can't be beaten out of you by systems. Exactly. Um, 
Well, the thing is, you cannot be an actor without using your subconscious mind mm. uh, at the point of performance. When you walk on stage or when you go in front of the camera, having prepared, of course, having learnt the lines and prepared, your conscious mind has to be cut off. Mm. You can't you, do all those things at once. You can't. No. Uh, so in other words, all actors use their subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. and, and to some extent you can train that, and let's pick that up again when we talk about Flinders, mm. um, because uh, and, and it is like... I remember Robin Lovejoy uh, in Sydney saying, Ed, jump off the stage, I'll catch you. <laughs> no, he meant that metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have seen people jump yeah, off the come stage. On, I was going to say that there's very physical theatre out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, 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 and that's take off. Yeah. And I remember um, Olivia... Lawrence Olivier, I, was, I saw a performance of, uh, of, of his Othello at the National Theatre in England, at the Old Vic, actually. And um, uh, there was, a, there was a, 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 a rumor afterwards that he exploded after he'd come off the stage at the end of the performance, gone into his dressing room and slammed the door. And Frank Finlay, who's playing Iago, went out and knocked gingerly on the door and said, oh, Olivia, well, what's wrong? He said, you were brilliant tonight. He said, I know I was, but I want to know why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Like how to do it again, how, how to direct yeah, it out. Because he took yeah. off like on yeah. gossamer wings yeah. and flew, yeah. and he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Which was an extraordinary, uh, unreal feeling. You wow. become a passenger. Trying as opposed not to try. To That's yeah. like yeah. a... And you're on the wings of Gossamer yeah. taking you... Like an effortless, effortless, effortless action. action. Effortless, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, you do the training to... I, have, I have experienced that once. Mm. Um, yeah. But the, it was out of total fear because I, I thought if I tried to stop thinking about it, I'll collapse. And yeah. that was when I played Jimmy Porter and looked back in anger. Oh, my God, that was, uh, that was yeah. absolutely frightening. Yeah, like sometimes you just go, if I'm consciously in control of this, I know it's going to fall to bits because yes. I can't juggle all the balls. Exactly. There's too many things exactly. in the air. Exactly, David. Well done. You have yeah. to just yeah. let your unconscious yeah. mind just yeah. take yeah. you. Wow. Yeah. So for me, it was yeah. playing Delius's violin sonata, which uh, wasn't technically uh, too far beyond my hands, yeah. but I wanted to play it a particular way yeah. and I could not possibly keep all the variables in my head no, of course not. consciously. Yeah. And at a certain point, you either get overwhelmed by the fear yeah. or you let go of absolutely mm. everything and trust your unconscious going, we've done all the work, we've trained to keep things in tune, we've trained to keep the bow under control. That's right. We've trained to put fingers where they need to be. Yeah. Now stop. Have you read Equal Music? Yes. Yes, yeah. I've just finished reading it, Vicar of Thay. Yeah, it's a lovely yeah. book. Lovely book. I, I, very annoying, though, um, because I thought, oh, for God's sake, why are you getting a knickers and a twist over this, this girl? And, and, uh, and, and, and he wouldn't do anything about it, and he just moaned and groaned. And yeah. I got annoyed with him yeah, but his behaviour. That is very typical of... <laughs> Um, is it? Oh yeah, it's a bit like you, David. No, it, it's well. Again, I got out of music because my wrist wouldn't take it anymore with I violin. Beg your pardon. Um, yeah, it just couldn't deal with the violin bow and the white cane anymore. Yeah, he's being rude, and I'm just not going there. I'm above it. I'm on my Gotham wings. But no, um, what often happens with people who get close to success, and we can talk about this in acting in a minute, mm. is having watched it in music in other people. The closer you are to success. Yeah. but not being able to confront, you're not going to cross the line. Mm. And yet the investment has been so huge. Yeah. And there's an underlying misery that yeah. creeps in. Creeps in. And yeah. you find a management I, yeah, strategy for yeah, the misery. Yeah. So he was a great example in an equal music yeah. of his management strategy for not quite making it was fixation on a failed yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, okay, you've explained why I got annoyed with him because yes. I, I couldn't identify being – a compulsively obsessive musician yeah. because I've never been a compulsively obsessive actor. And ah, perhaps that's, interesting. that's the reason why I'm not a Daniel Day-Lewis. He is a compulsively obsessive actor. Interesting. Mm. So you could do it for a stint but then looked forward to going outside and working on a garden. Yeah. You could literally oh, absolutely. go, Listen, I want a week whatever. off. Look, at the, at the end of, of the tour that you do, uh, or six months engagement, you do, at the end of it you think, thank 
God, that's finished. I don't have to go to the theatre any. I can have a rest. Yeah. Because every moment that you're on stage, you're, you're, the, the amount of energy you push out, mm. and they reckon there, there's a little... Uh, if, if an actor's playing King Lear, he's pushing out in one night at three hours of being on stage playing King Lear, he's pushing out enough energy that uh, somebody in an office would do in one or two weeks. Yeah. Whoa. Because mentally, your mentally. brain's just lit up. Oh. So, again, I understand what it's like to be close to the compulsive thing from violin. So when yeah. I have my wisdom teeth out at, what was I, 23 well, It's the obsessive thing. Compulsion is yeah. always, and part of it, it's the mm. obsession that yeah. was yeah. the variable. But, right? you know, I, yeah, I compulsion is not necessarily obsessive. Yes. No. Mm. It's just... Yeah, you're compelled. So, you know, wisdom teeth out two days after, and I'm picking a violin up and putting my violin back under my jaw. Mm. It was really stupid. See, when you say wisdom teeth to me, I immediately have a vision of this beautiful nurse coming over my face at St. Thomas's Hospital in London to take out <laughs> a back tooth. And I went, oh my God, I'm in heaven. <laughs> Whereas I remember waking up, not being able to open and my I've jaw. I've never forgotten her face, that, that lovely nurse. Oh. <laughs> what a great memory. All I Isn't remember it? is everything hurt. They probably do that on purpose so that you don't yeah. close your jaw. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I went permanently oh, dropped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and from here oh, on in everything. I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> we no, deteriorate no, so no. fast. You've got a, a naughty sense of humor. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> works. Works, works well. <laughs> well yes. I can't stand it when I listen to the, the radio or, or, or television when everybody talks at once. We must not do the same thing here. No, that's a that's a that's a theater. So annoying. Oh, that's a theater uh, uh, um a it's technique, a deliberate isn't technique, it? isn't it? Is it? Well, I, I believe so. Because there's times in a play where suddenly they all talk over oh, yeah, no, each no, other no, and you're meant right. to go, it's no, deliberate. No, 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 that's different. I'm talking about in radio and oh, television. Ah. You know, we're, we're all the, we're, when they're discussing things, they all talk on top of each other, which I really am. Oh, apologies. Oh, so, no, no, well, we all no, get no, too no, excited. That's, right. that's our problem. I know you do with ideas. Yeah, ideas are awesome. Now, what's your next idea? What, you, what question are you going to give me now? Well, we keep hinting that we're going to get to Flinders. I think we've worked out why people should think acting <clears throat> is important because you need awareness. It trains your subconscious slash unconscious. Yeah. And, the, uh, and the other essential uh, thing about that, about uh, um, Training to be an actor is, and what is so angry, I'm so angry about it, um, so neglected now is the voice. Now, <clears throat> you don't have to have a voice like mine. I happen to, I, it is a well-trained voice, but I have an English accent, which is modulated in such a way that it's very clear. Mm. Because uh, I would say to myself or to anybody, I don't have an accent. I'm not, I, I can put on a, an upper-class accent, you know, like Prince Charles, if you want me to, because then all you do is want to do that. And, and don't, mm. don't, 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 Are his hands moving as he does this? Yes. yes. And you sort of, you know, you, you just widen the jaw and talk like that, you know. But I, I don't. I'm over, I've got an open accent. I, I can do I just did a, a Northern Irish accent the other day, you know. But if you talk like that all the time, and it's very easy to do an accent, uh, but you know, you, um, I. That's why I've got a middle Southern English accent. If you have to call it an accent, mm. it's a base upon which you can put any accent on. I can, I can then talk Australian if you want me to. You know, mm. I can come out and and uh, not not open the mouth too wide and and uh, you know, mm. go through the nose. And keep and, the flies and, out of the way. Yep, yeah, keep the flies out of the way and, and pitch my voice because I want to talk to a bloke over the other side of the paddock. Oh, that was really wacky. That was, like, <laughs> very convincing with the visuals as well. Was, I was actually quite convinced that was just your normal accent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, I mean, the thing is that, that, that what is being neglected now is that classical training. Mm. Um, they seem to poo-poo classical training now because... And David, that, you'll support me in this uh, because of the ignorance and the lack of of uh, desire to learn from history, yeah. learn from the past, yeah. and and don't make those mistakes. Of course, we all do make mistakes, but the point is, we do nudge, f we do nudge ourselves forward to a more civilized society, uh, providing we do are aware of the past. We are, we can communicate clearly with each other. 
Yeah. But what's happening with speech is it's like that I said uh, much earlier on uh, about we are going backwards in mm. terms of evolution, uh, and I can see ourselves becoming Neanderthals because we're grunting, when uh, and it really is appearing in the speech patterns of everyday of of all people oh, throughout the world. Mm. They're, they're speaking very badly because they're afraid of you know being. Well heard. I well, mean, they'd rather interact via a small screen and typing oh, yeah. than by talking. So desperately hoping that podcasting helps people learn to listen again. Mm. Well, exactly. I think the more of this, that, and I've been doing a bit of this with uh, in London. Uh, I was podcast uh, for the, um, I was in eight, in eight Half Hot Mum, and uh, Perry and uh, uh, Croft and Perry's, uh, commemorations and and this guy who was a lovely lovely boy I'm sure a bit of a nerd because you have to be a nerd to be a Doctor Who fan or a you know any of these um, kind of fans are are desperately want to identify with a celebrity or with somebody well known mm. who somebody is up there in fact mm. I've I've often said that uh, celebrity has taken over God completely yeah and, that uh, sounds fair. And unfortunately, God's last celebrity is very, very transient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, so I, I, I think one of the things that uh, I was really annoyed about with the um, when I was I was rung up by one of the students at Flinders University and how this came about, uh, whose grandfather I was at school with, and who you probably know is Dick Blandy. I think I, I think mm -hmm. I told you about yep. Dick. Well, we well it's his brunch. grandson, and. Um, uh, Henry wanted me to support the submission that the students were aware that they were trying to change the drama course in order to knock out the um, the stuff that that they thought was irrelevant in today's modern world, i.e., anything to do with the theater history of the theater, anything to do with classical training of the speech and movement, uh, that we, they want to now boulderize Shakespeare so that people can rewrite Shakespeare in the modern language and, and, and then uh, and, and train for TikTok. <laughs> I don't know how you train to do TikTok. Uh. Yeah. My guess is you learn to stay in a very, very small frame. Very small and to frame. make to small things. gestures and yeah. smile a lot. I know. No one, do oh. you know what? I when I was writing this submission and I, I gave it uh, the full the full works. <laughs> you know, I really and apparently they accepted what I said, but while I was doing it, I was actually in researching TikTok. And this TikTok program came up and this boy was in the front jigging away and I looked Clearfully, and I said, I don't believe this. There's, there's my friend Judy Dench. Dame Judy Dench was jiggling her hips in the background. I thought, what's she doing? She's destroying my argument. <laughs> was there a cross text? She's adapted to. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been in the garden visiting this guy. He said, oh, look, will you do something for me in the background? Because it's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I couldn't believe it. And I ha I've castigated her since because I ring her up occasionally. I was going to say, dear Judy, what are you doing? What are you doing, mm. Judy, wiggling your hips in a TikTok? Anyway, see again. There, part of the things, the things we were talking about before. Where's the context? What's yeah, the intent? Exactly. What is going to make someone think twice and go? Well, what's that actually about? It's it's this this favourite word that everybody bandies around: existentialism. Mm. Uh, I thought it was a philosophy that Jean Paul Sartre developed uh, about you know the the identity your your mm, identity your in the world mm. your identity in the world it's not necessarily about your you know to be selfish and to be me 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 no. um, it is to be aware <laughs> of your place in mm. the world mm -hmm. that word aware again mm. and the world doesn't have to make sense but you can no. work out what's going what's on going around on. you exactly yeah, so that's uh, I, I submitted this uh, particularly with the speech side of it, and uh, I think that they've accepted that they won't be changing it so radically. I mean, when I read the uh, David, you'll you'll understand reading educational jargon is yes. I half the time I didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, uh, and 
I can't even I can't even remember uh, the phrases. I've wrote them all down and said, "What the heck does that mean?" Yeah. Mm. Uh, and you know, it it means nothing. It and, means yeah. nothing. It's it's jargon. Well, here we get sort of you know an extension of the argument of why we need to be connected to history. If we let disciplines go to the point where the jargon is so divorced yeah, yeah. from a deep sense of meaning, the only people that can understand it are people lost in the current version of the abstraction. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the point of things like acting and music is to make people reconnect yeah. with historically yeah. what remains true about being human mm. and interacting yeah. with other humans yeah. while living on planet Earth. Yeah, exactly. And if we lose track with things that can connect us to each other and the physical environment in which we play our parts, mm. what was the point of language? What was the point? Mm. Yeah, what's the point? But we're anaesthetizing everything, aren't we? Well, is it a result of it, you know, things being very different for actors nowadays than it was before? Perhaps that do does the course need to adapt uh, to TikTok so that? Well, you know. I, th- uh, I mean, if you compare my uh, my period of growing up and wanting to be an actor to yours, because mm. I understand Tim, you you've done some acting and a, uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Mm. But I know some others like my friend at Flinders who desperately wants to be an actor. I couldn't get him into NIDA. I tried to uh, do his audition, but he, he wasn't quite good enough. But I'm sure he, I'm sure he will be now. Just give him another year. Absolutely, because yeah. you, if you, you need to be. I mean, it is a question of. Um, how, in, in terms of your background, in terms of your upbringing, uh, whether you're ready to become an actor, you know, to be whether whether the product you've got in yourself is ready to be yeah. molded, yeah. not manipulated, but molded. You have to put enough stuff in there already yes. and ready to flourish. Yes, mm-hmm. because yeah. so much of the Stanislavski method, and uh, and and I'm sure they, I hope they still do Stanislavski because we did. I mean, I. I we all do. Judith, Judy Dench wouldn't admit she does, but she does. She, why, I mean, how do you play some... Philomena without knowing about the Irish background, about how yeah. how it was uh, with Irish young Irish girls who who had illegitimate babies? Yeah. You, you've got to do some research. You do, and and you you got to prepare that and put it in the mind and let it and percolate. Let it in, in, in percolate, mm. and then then you forget about it. Mm. So, and, and with a mind like Judy Dent, out it comes in performance. Mm. Mm. So how many major ways to think about acting would you have been trained in when you were at NIDA? Did you all get exposed to several and you yeah. pick a couple that work best well, the for thing, you or how well, does it work? The, well, the thing is, that in the, you see, when I, when I, what we had in our day was concert theatre mm. and television was really just coming in. Yeah. So the theatre training was about speech and movement um, and about um, being aware on stage mm-hmm. and the sixth sense and being aware of the audience and, and, and give and take and, and, yeah. and, and play tennis with each other mm-hmm. with words. The ball is words. And, yeah. and you, uh, so, so all that sort of stuff was, was practical and physical almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the, uh, the, the method actor acting system came in via Stanislavski. And I can talk about this because I worked with Stella Adler. I did a Uh, course with Stella Adler who came back, who met Stanislavski and came back from Moscow. They got it wrong. I believe they got it wrong. For example, uh, in uh, The Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman, you know, mm-hmm. gets uh, yeah, and, and he, he puts stuff in his. Uh, Marlon Brando put orange peel in his cheeks. Yep. Marlon Brando got a, f- a a stone in his foot, and and then in in the in the in the film that he plays with Olivia, um, Lord Olivia played with Dustin Hoffman in a movie. Uh, was it The Rain Man? Can't remember. Anyway, I don't remember if there was, was a moment movie. when uh, Dustin Hoffman. This is exemplifying what I'm saying. We have to get back to what I was. Rem- otherwise, I'll forget. You'll mm. have to remember, mm. David, because yeah. I know your memory is fantastic. Uh, we, he, he, uh, he had to experience or show uh, a character who had had no sleep for two or three nights. Mm. What did Dustin Hoffman do? Went and had no sleep he, for two yeah, or three nights. He know what it's like, yeah. And of course, he couldn't do it. <laughs> and it came, and Olivia just merely said to him, 
Uh, Dustin, have you tried acting? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> because I can imagine that if you're going to play a role where you need to permanently be sleep deprived, have a go at being sleep deprived in your own time. Remember what it felt like. Remember how your behavior changed. You only need to do it once to get the experiential oh, knowledge. But you certainly don't turn up having just done sleep deprived and then try and <laughs> try play, and play it. it. So it's like he got half the idea. Experience is really useful, but so's recovery. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Now, what what was I getting back to? Different uh, schools know, of I, thought I for oh, prepping for us. Yeah, yeah, well, it was um, also just the difference between actors then and actors, actors now. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was the broader um, picture. Well, at NIDA, we, we, we only just were being getting to be taught the Stanislavski method, so we had an actor prepares uh, and so on. And, and we were being taught by a wonderful classical actor called Clement McCallum, who was at the, from the Royal Shakespeare Company. And, of course, he, all his acting was in Shakespeare. So you, you didn't have to kind of immerse yourself to the extent that a Daniel Day-Lewis would. Uh, and I'll tell you a little story about Daniel Day-Lewis and Hamlet in a minute. But so Clement would actually read the chapter that he was going to talk to be the, the previous night. The next day he'd teach the chapter he had just read the mm-hmm. previous night. So he didn't know much about it. So we kind of, we kind of got got around the idea that you learn your lines, you think about, but when in, in, in England, you're, if you do what we had there, is, is, and, and that's where, where we learned our craft, because you had no time to, to immerse yourself in a character. Yeah, you're you on to the to next pick up, You had to pick up the, out, the outside, outside physical appearance of it and put on acting voice and so mm. on because you didn't have time to do it you we 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 started off in weekly rep yeah and two weekly rep i began in two weekly rep in mm. england mm. and you know you're doing uh the first part i ever played was sandy Tyrrell. i had to learn it in 48 hours cuz uh, the uh, new zealand actor who was playing it had to go back to australia to it new zealand his father was dying, and um, I learned it in 48 hours. Now, you can't immerse yourself in that. I did it very well because I, I put on the outward coat yeah. of the character, and that's all you could do. That's mm. all the time you had. But how many nights would you have played that role for? I played that role for six nights. Okay, so by, six, seven by, ni- by night three okay. or four, you're going, hang on. <sighs> I can do things with this one oh, step. Yes. But so that's the point. You're in a constant yeah. curve of learning, learning adapting, yeah. and improving. Absolutely. And now what you're describing is this: the gaps are too big between jobs. So lots of pondering time maybe, yeah. Yeah. but not practice time. I, I, I went from one rep to another. I was working 16 hours a day over a period of about five or six years, uh, <coughs> learning stuff all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why, <coughs> excuse me, I can... Uh, I can pick up text very quickly and give a very reasonable rendition. I've just literally played a uh, an Irish a Northern Irishman for a uh, a selfie screen test mm. um, for a BBC thing that's being filmed here, and I didn't get the part, uh, and yet I did. I know I did a damn good job because I gave it. I, I showed it to other film directors, and they thought. And you can't do it any better than that. Yeah, but we're at that interesting point of what we were talking about a little bit ago, and that is we think history is important. So you brought to that performance an understanding of that character, the age, the experiences. I did. The, the culture. Now, does that mean that the person who's going to direct or produce it has a sense of history? No. So you might have been very well prepared to do the role if it was really grounded in something substantial. Yeah. But part of this new world you're describing is a world that refuses any more to ground itself yeah. in what has come before it. Mm. That's a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. And how then if kids are going to have to study and then go into a world of acting where there's no grounding, will they ever know if they're getting better? You can't just do it by being told by a director or a producer. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to see, feel, and experience 
the growth in your craft. Yes, that's right. And you against that old line, the more competent you become, the more confident you become, yeah. the more confident you become, the more you push your competence. It, it was interesting. I, I was actually asked to go help at some school uh, performances of, of plays, and I went to Scotch College and uh, helped direct the director, Nicholas Triglau, who is very good, very competent director, uh, with the Scotch College kids, um, uh, actors, young, mm. young, you know, doing a school play. And it was a, it was wonderful. I just would give a few little notes and, and nudge uh, them and nudge off they'd go and off they go. Yeah. And by the end of my time with them, they, they were really enjoying themselves because they knew they were in a good place with whatever they were doing yeah. because I told them they were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I they, said, that was really good. Yeah. Can you see the difference? Yeah. Yes, of course I can, yep. they'd say. Yeah, but again, we all need that positive feedback, but the other thing is you kept growing their craft. Exactly. So it's that thing that you if, know, craft you and feedback together. Cra- but the point is the craft is not being respected. No. And we don't have history. So if you don't have craft and you don't have history, then all we're really left with is stardom slash celebrity. Exactly. And that is, do you look right for the five years that would suit the role? Yeah, that's, that's do all you it sound is now. Right Obviously, I didn't, I didn't look right for the role. Yeah. And, and that's really sad mm. that that's all that really matters. Yeah. So, yeah, this dives into the, you know, we, we sort of touched on it through an equal music, through talking about me not playing violin and, you know, you yourself mentioning it. Yeah. Th- that point where you go, I love doing this and I can keep doing this, but I'm not going to be a star. Yeah. What was your experience at that moment of going, you know, this is always going to be hard and I'm always going to be pushing a big rock uphill for the next job? Uh, well, um, I, 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 I'll just tell you about the, the height of my career probably and what happened after that, uh, which is when I started sliding down the other side. Yeah, which is <laughs> the best the way to understand it. You know, I've, on the been, way up up. To, I've yeah. been up to the top of a mountain and uh, I've seen the view, and I rather liked it up there. But unfortunately, uh, I was standing on unsound ground. Yeah, <laughs> it was a glacier, was a, and we had global glacier. warming. That's right. <laughs> Don't get me onto that. All right. <laughs> um, anyway, because uh, Tim is is keen to know about this, are you not? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, don't look at him. Okay. Yeah. yeah, man, I don't know if you're looking at me. What are you doing? I don't know. Look at Edmund. <laughs> the social cues are all messed up. <laughs> I uh, probably started cracking it uh, in 1980, 90, right about 1978. I came back here to be at the State Theatre in Cymbeline, played a, a really good part. There was something wrong with my voice, which I got corrected. Um, and then in 1980, I landed the part of Lucinda uh, in Lucinda Brayford, playing opposite Wendy Hughes and Sam Neill. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a big first. deal. Well, it wasn't then. Sam was like me, with just good actors. Yeah, but if you look at who was on that stage, that's that yeah. amount of talent in one place. Exactly. It's going to be... And Barry Quinn. It's going to yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then at the same time, I uh, I scored um, a, a the part of um, Father Murphy in Home Sweet Home, doing about twenty eighteen episodes I did of that, which was a hugely successful uh, sitcom, but it unfortunately. Uh, it was two Englishmen who came out here to do it and teach the Australians how to do it, mm. uh, which after a while, of course, uh, got up the nose of the Australians yeah. <laughs> uh, and in fact did not in. win the the, the award, um, uh, Holden Street or whatever that um, – no, that um, – not Holden Street uh, – Holden Country or something won the award that year, whereas mm. John Bluthel in Home Sweet Home, who's a very funny actor, uh, and he's Australian – Polish Australian, uh, and did a huge amount of work. He was in Vicar of Debley and so on, uh, mm. and uh, it was a terrific series. And yet, it's not been repeated. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're repeating all the stuff I did ages ago in England, but they don't repeat it here. Mm. And it was really good because it was done by the English and the English. It was Michael Mills and Vince Powell, mm. who were top English writers and directors, mm. Thames Television. And, in fact, I subsequent, I've i just seen myself in Chancellor Million with Simon Callow and Brenda Blethyn. 
Brenda Blethyn looking absolutely divine, age 23 with a short dress on. And now you see her in Vera. And, oh, my God, time has... And life gets in the way. My God, <laughs> life gets in the way, all right. Yeah, you can hardly recognise her. Mm. Then you get close up and you can see. But I'm diverting myself, as I usually do, because, you know, I work with Ronnie Corbett. It's affected me. <laughs> That's all right. I, go off, I go off on tangents just like he did. <laughs> I've got to tell you a story about Ronnie Corbett. I got my <laughs> back at him because he was a beastly little man. Uh, he was he completely ignored me when I was doing a commercial with him. That's not dance. nice. No, it wasn't nice at all. I I did. I was in Sorry with. I did a part in Sorry, which is a series he he did. And then I met him uh, at outside the stage door. We were going. Uh, no, hang on. Before that, I went to see Judy Dench in uh, Hay Fever, which mm. I'd been in three times, mm -hmm. and uh, with her secretary. And we were sitting, and I turned round, and there was Ronnie Corbett right behind me, going like this. Trying, I, I'm visually, I'm looking like Rodney Corbett trying to see. and, and You were too very, tall in I front of him. I was too tall in front of him. And he wanted to behead you, and so he so had a view. every time he did, I kind of kept moving like that. <laughs> no, in front of him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I met him afterwards because we all went up to uh, mm. to see Judy afterwards and, and I reminded him that I'd worked with him before and also I'd played golf with him and all that sort of stuff. And and he, he and Judy were standing next to each other uh, in the dressing room and I looked at them both. I said, do you know, Judy, you and Ronnie could play Anthony and Cleopatra. <laughs> Which got a huge laugh. Yeah. Ronnie did not like it at all. Because oh. <laughs> he's Judy's meant to played, make Johnny. Mm. Uh, Judy's played Anthony Clippers with Anthony Hopkins, yeah. yeah, which I saw. And I would assume too that it's the fact that you know he's he's the one who's meant to make the gag. Yes, the gag's mm. never yeah. meant to be made. I know, expense. and I made the gag. You see, yeah, and, and so you're going to pay. I was no, I was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, where was I? Back to you were on the verge of stardom. But oh, then yes, yes, it's altered. Right. No, I, I I was doing uh, Home Sweet Home and going mm. backwards and forwards to England to do other things, including, uh, and I won the part of Bernard Webster in Tenko, which is probably the best television acting I've ever done, mm -hmm. uh, playing opposite Stephanie Beecham, playing her, her lover. And, um, and Louise Jamison was in it, who I was also in a Doctor Who series with Louise when she was doing uh, playing Leela in Doctor Who. Ah, uh, that's why I know the name. Okay. Yeah. Wow. She was Leela. So that, it, it's that with Tom, period. With Tom Baker. With Tom Baker. So it's yeah, that yeah, period yeah. you did Doctor Who. The, uh, no, I'd done Doctor Who. Earlier. Well before. Okay. Well before, way, way back in the 70s. Right. Um, but <clears throat> so I'm, I'm doing um, Tenko uh, and, and it, it was really, I was really very good in that. And I did a, another, probably one of the best acting I've ever done was in the second series where we were filmed in the jungle of Borneo having escaped from uh, captives, the Japanese captives, because it's about the whole series is about the, the women in Japanese prison war yeah. camps. And uh, I escape and meet up with, with, uh, uh, Stephanie Beecham's uh, character. And um, we have this very moving w a scene in the jungle where we, we kind of make love with uh, a Vegemite jar and all that sort of thing. And I had the, I mean, the crew were crying, you know, yeah. it was so good. Mm. And um, and then the guy who directed me in that was a great, a good became a good friend and, and so on. And for the next part, uh, he, oh, in the meantime, of course, I then win another big prize, which is playing Lord Burn Wilk in Winds of War with opposite Robert Mitchell. Oh, wow. And okay. uh, I get flown first class to Seattle and go and film on the Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, I was about two weeks on, 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 a, on this major epic. Um, and Because uh, yeah, what was it? was like every Sunday night for a month or oh, something. Well, it was, it was it 16 was episodes. Yeah, it was well, huge. Mm. And uh, anyway, well, that, that's another story if you want to keep it for another time. <laughs> yep. um, and, and so I, I was there. I, I was you just come back from America. I'd been on the Maldive Islands just before I started filming, doing a week, uh, in, uh, doing a commercial. Because in between these things, I did dozens of commercials, yep. mm. which is another thing to talk about. Mm. Anyway, um, I so I actually 
had done all these things within a period of two years. I was then up for one of the leading roles in Howard's Way. No, it was Howard's End. Howard's, Howard's Way, Way. Was, a, was a River, Thames River series. Mm. Um, and I was up for the, the lead, which, uh, and, and opposite people I knew. And it was between me and another chap, Morris Colborne was his name. I always remember his name. <laughs> uh, I just made a, a bad image. Uh, <laughs> but sadly, oh, God rest his soul, he died on the job at 49. He, oh. If they'd had me, they mm. could have gone on. Anyway. It could uh, be the next series. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, 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 the time was. Um, Reddington, who was the producer, wanted Morris. Uh, Pennant Roberts, the director, wanted me. The producer had the sway mm. instead of the director who was – and this is the beginning of authority, of power, connected with money. You're moving in, to in money way, rather than In a way, art. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're with the money side of it and not the creative side yeah. of it. And this is a, a, a template, a, a metaphor really for what's increasingly going on mm. in the world because uh, um, now, as you said, it's image yeah. and what will bring in – what will make people want to see this more mm. than any other. So it's image and therefore all – if you can get a star to play a small part, the younger actor has no chance now yeah. of experiencing, mm. of, of, of gaining experience yeah. because famous people are getting small parts mm. Yeah. Mm. because of the wretched money men. And it began, you could almost say it began at that instant for me. Yeah, that was and when for, you first experienced it. Yeah, and a lot of actors I would, would have, have experienced it in the same year or two. I would have maximised yeah. my career then and, and gone on and, and done, and, you know, I would have been identified with with an ongoing role in yeah. England, which would have been enough which, to just say, see, in the Tenko thing, I was only in three episodes. Yeah, which is not enough. Yeah, you didn't to, be in front of people just quite long enough in the same role that forever they could go. We know who Edmund is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's this. There's like they, a, or a, now was like what I get is I know that face. Yeah, because you've played so many supporting roles. Yeah. And they keep Sorry, remembering. Jim, that's okay. Yeah. So there's like a, a larger kind of um, not necessarily even skill gap, but like a celebrity gap yeah. between between you know very well, competent. It's about actors the financial the, calculation. Well, the, the, other, yeah. the other the other essential thing about the fact that I'm an actor is that I'm far too versatile. I do not have a particular identity. Oh, I see. And they just they typecast now as the idea. Yeah, really. yeah you're meant to be the same thing consistently. Consistently, yeah. Whereas if you're actually like, flexible, well, yeah. what do we do with that? Yeah. How does anyone remember precisely what exactly. and who you are? So really, it in a sense suits the quote-unquote celebrity now That's who can only do a narrow range yeah. with a face that looks right for five years. Uh, Tom Cruise. They have a big five years. Oh, yeah. And then Tom Cruise. I mean, even uh, the other guy played Forrest Gump. Uh, oh, Tom Hanks. Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks is a good actor. Yeah. But you still know he's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Like the only exception to that for me for um, Tom Cruise is in Magnolia. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what happened that he actually learnt to act? That's yeah, true. Yeah, probably. Was, but that yeah, it's that one role. Yeah. So it was one unique situation where he bust out of celebrity mode. Yeah. The, I, th you're, I think you're right. That method acting nowadays, even though they might be getting it wrong because they're only really doing half the job of acting, um, yes. does does lend itself to some versatility in the new kind of acting uh, landscape in the yeah. sense that I think Christian Bale, who is a very famous method actor, yes. plays a, a variety of different roles. I don't think he gets typecast per se. Uh, no. Um, he plays I intensity I, I, very Yes, well. and what about yeah. Gary Oldman? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah. would you have known it was Gary playing uh, with Churchill? Churchill, not at yeah. all. Mm. Oh. But then he was in The Fifth Element and does all kinds yeah. of strange oh, things. No, it yeah. always you working. Cannot, you cannot, I can't actually picture Gary Oldman as an actor. Yeah, what yeah. would he just look like walking down the know. street to go and get a I paper and a coffee? Him. I wouldn't yeah. recognise him. Mm, mm, no. mm. And that's the problem. You were so good at being what was required. Mm. When people yeah. said, well, what about Edmund? They went... Who? Who? <laughs> well, that guy. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, I know that face, but why do I know that face? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Anyway, I'm not going to hear, uh, you know, be, be cry, be, <laughs> uh, go, go into my cups to say 
you know, I was too good to be famous. No, <laughs> well, you you were doing a thing that was very rewarding in terms of developing the craft, yeah. and perhaps you could have made decisions that pushed you towards the producers more. Again, it, there's always there's always you know, hindsight's wonderful, but mm. at the time yeah. you do what you know how to do, which is learn and evolve. <laughs> Learning right. and evolving didn't line up yeah. with the cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a, there was a, a passage from your memoirs that you would like to read for us? Was that is that fitting now? Or? I just on page three hundred and eight. Three hundred and eight. <laughs> that you might like to hear um, reality bumping into me in a massive way. Um, I was in a play. Uh, in fact, it was the last time I was on stage in about in two thousand and. 13, 12, 13, 14, I can't mm. remember now. It might tell me here. No, it doesn't. Uh, anyway, I, I was at Holden Street Theatre doing a play by Bob Ellis called Shakespeare in Italy. And it reminded me of being in the old days of rep in England because that was the kind of way it was directed and mm. the way we performed it and all that sort of thing. Uh, there wasn't too much Stanislavski going on. <laughs> there was a, a, a rapid, a, a, a very quick uh, way of learning. We had to learn it and get on with it. And um, anyway, for me, it was a, a it, for me it was like a revisit. And I'm quoting now from the book. This is the last bit. <clears throat> for me, it was like a revisit to those early days in repertory theatre, combined with my first professional job playing Shakespeare in the Outback, which I haven't talked about, of course, but I did play uh, for three years, travel the Outback of Australia with the young Elizabethan players, wow. uh, which included in my first job Mark McManus, who played T Taggart. Wow. And various other uh, well-known people started their careers mm. in Australia. And this is something that we mentioned, that I had the chance of touring Shakespeare in the Outback in all sorts of circumstances, you know, with things going wrong all the time and having to kind of cope. Mm. And, and that's what young actors now do not have that mm. opportunity, except a bit with John Bell's company, yeah. but it's not done in that kind of way. Anyway, yeah. I'll... I'll uh, if, if I start doing this, we'll be here all night and all day. Uh, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was playing Shakespeare in the Abbey. I enjoyed um, in this play that I'm uh, playing the English ambassador to Rome in a costume approximating Elizabethan. This was at the Holden Street Theatre. <laughs> I was challenged by a strong performance from Lucy Slattery playing my wife, a much neglected young local actress. Unfortunately, the most memorable part of this production happened on the way home after the last night. I was arrested by the police and thrown into jail. It was after midnight on a Saturday. I had only a couple of drinks, but on an empty stomach. I began heading for home in my VW polo, but decided to change direction and go through the city. Suddenly, I heard the sirens of a police car behind me. Thinking it couldn't be me as I'd done nothing wrong, I kept going. I found myself having to stop due to a sort of roadblock with a taxi across the road. Um, as, as soon as I'd pulled up, my car door was yanked open and I was ordered to get out. What for? I, I've done nothing wrong, I protested. The aggressive policeman grabbed my arm, hauled me out, slammed me against the car and handcuffed me. I was put into another car, my head pressed down as they do in the movies, and <laughs> driven to the central lockup to which my car had been driven by another policeman. <gasps> I was invited to occupy a cell and told to remove my showlace, showlaces and belt, presumably in case I decided to commit suicide. <laughs> this fearful turn of events had me dash-diddled and dumbfounded, as my mother used to say. I was actually in a complete state of shock. I was breathalyzed, photographed, and fingerprinted. There I was, a criminal in a real-life situation. After I'd been two hours in a cell, they realized it was an arrest too far and let me drive my car home. <laughs> I was only charged with failure to obey a police instruction. 
At my court hearing, I began my brilliantly written speech pleading for clemency, but in no time I was interrupted by the magistrate. Thank you, Mr. Pegg. Two hours in a cell has been sufficient punishment. Just pay the court costs. <laughs> the brief <laughs> glimpse of being in a cell was all good experience for an actor, but for me, there is probably little opportunity now to put it into practice. <laughs> The merry-go-round is still turning. I lost the First World War recently playing General Joffre, or rather, <laughs> or rather singing him. It was a bizarre filmed opera operatic account of the first months called War August Watershed. I had some fun playing a dementia patient in a training film. I told the director I was a method actor and would be fine learning the lines, but once in character, they would be forgotten. Uh, <laughs> she believed me for a minute. <laughs> My mother would have been disappointed with the part I played in Change Forever, yet another series about Gallipoli, where I was demoted to playing a butler. Latterly and yet again, I was brutally smashed up and killed in the television series of Wolf Creek, but it took 15 takes to put me down. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next stage of my life. Who knows, new doors may open and old ones even wider. <laughs> I'm ready to pick up anything left behind, even be killed again. In the final analysis, though, regarding success, I believe the eyes have it. They were too close together. Hmm. What a what a way to end. It's a fantastic. Wow. What a. It's it just. It was very. It was very um. Listeners. Climactic. Edmund is going to record his memoirs as an audio book, mm. and when it's released, we will sort of tell you all about it endlessly, <laughs> so you can go out and buy it. Lovely. Well. It, yeah. Thank you very much, Edmund Pegg. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been a pleasure to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me. You're very welcome, and you're welcome to come back any time and tell us about individual things, because we've sort of hinted today at everything that's possible. So, listeners, if you want Edmund back to talk about a specific thing, just let us know which thing. Otherwise, I'll probably choose that we talk about all of these things. <laughs> Hello audience, thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favourite episodes or leave a review if you really love us. We'd love to hear from you. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights, or you can send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. And also, don't forget, we have merchandise. Thank you to the Oscast Network. Peace out.